I want it to be more transparent. I want to ask questions and have them answered. Things are protected because of IP. Things are protected because of investors. Our food is more important and needs to somehow be separated from the capitalistic part. You know, if industrialized, ultra-processed foods have led us down this road, how do we ensure that the new system isn't the same system? Hey, peeps, it's January 2023. I recorded most of these interviews in August last year. We are planning far in advance. And in the meantime, instead of becoming more excited about biotech, I have become a bit more critical. And that's not a negative development, and it's not a black and white state. Being in the industry is like being in an echo chamber of technocratic hype. It helps to step out once in a while and look at the bubble from the outside. In this episode, we talk about ingredientization. Our foods are increasingly puzzled together from protein isolates, colorants, binders, additives, and more. Most of the technologies we have discussed are about ingredients. So what about the issue of health? And that's what you will hear from Larissa Zimbaroff, a Bay Area writer focused on the interplay between food technology and business. Her publications include the New York Times, Bloomberg, and the Wall Street. And she wrote the book Technically Food, inside Silicon Valley's mission to change what we eat, which is available as an audible ebook and in print. I really enjoyed this episode asking where our food industry is going, and I hope you will enjoy it too. Let's jump right in. Red to Green is the most in-depth podcast on food and agriculture sustainability. Covering each topic in over 12 episodes, let's move the food system from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green. I'm your host, Marina Schmidt, and you're listening to Season 6, Biotech and Food. Maybe we start off with what is your personal relationship with precision fermentation? It's, so in it's an interesting way to talk about my condition, which is that I have type mm. 1 diabetes. And the very first insulin I took was using recombinant DNA. Uh, originally, insulin was coming from cows and pigs, and that's what people were taking. And eventually, Eli Lilly made insulin in 1982, and they were synthesizing it using E. coli to spit out the protein that is insulin, the hormone that is insulin. And that's what I take. It's evolved a little bit. Right now, I take an inhaled insulin that's a powder. Oh, and wow. it sort of looks like an asthma inhaler. It's called Afreza. But they're all made, this humanit recombinant DNA, which is that the E. coli bacteria has been programmed to engineer this hormone that is bioidentical to your own insulin. The only thing that's off is that I have to tell myself how much to take. I have to decide what my meal might need. And I have to time it right. You know, your body, the human body is engineered perfectly and, and figures all that out for you, people that don't have my condition, but I have to figure it out for myself. Yeah. I find it interesting that it's made with E. coli bacteria. That sounds like a classic news headline that could come up. Oh, look at this burger that has something made oh, yeah. by E. coli in it and where people immediately freak out. And it's so interesting that our 
perception of genetic engineering, for example, is so different in pharmaceuticals versus in food applications. Is that something that you've also encountered, how split people are regarding biotechnology is okay in pharma, but in food, no, we don't want that. That's technical. Technical food is not what we want. Yeah, it's a great point because I don't think people look at the pharmaceutical industry and think, gee, they're great, right? Yeah, but yeah. We depend upon them. My life, I can't go a day without taking insulin. But it took four years, over four years, to be approved by the FDA insulin uh, made in this fashion, which is the form of rennet that's made with precision fermentation took 28 months for the FDA to approve it. So I think with pharmaceuticals, we know there is just a really extensive path to getting to market, to getting to be something that we put in our body. And so we know more about the pharmaceuticals we're taking than the food we're eating. And with the advent of food tech, with these companies like re-engineering foods, we're going to know less and they're going to be approved quicker, right? Heme took a year and a half. And then once it's approved for use, like it's once it's considered grass, generally recognized as safe, and that's the E. coli that's producing this protein, vitamin, macronutrient, micronutrient, whatever, then the ease of which it gets reapproved is like very quick. If Perfect Day isn't doing anything different, if they're not using any different flora or fungi or bacteria, then they're like, well, everything we're doing is known and the FDA has already approved it. And then what it's producing is whey or casein, and those are already in the human diet. So they're like, voila, they're approved. And I'm not so sure. Mm. Well, from the company's perspective, that sounds like a great selling point for the investors. What are your worries about the safety? Because little of it has been tested. Little of it has had academic rigor behind it. So mm. academic studies that aren't funded by anybody involved. We don't know what changes happen. They aren't 100% identical. And the process doesn't work in an absence of errors. So if I did feel comfortable, I would say, well, okay, you're 100% guaranteeing that everything from the original bacteria or fungi or yeast or whatever is out. And everything that's been produced that you're creating your whey or casein, your egg white protein or whatever it is, is 100% identical. We don't know that. I also know firmly that whole foods and foods that haven't been stripped apart and put back together are better for ourselves, our human body to thrive. So now that we're just sort of making everything into a component, into an ingredient, that's an entirely different food system. Yeah. And I love your view on it in terms of this ingredient economy or ingredient food system. You were describing in one of the interviews how individual parts are being taken apart just to be reassembled at a later point in time. And that is actually quite worrisome because I think it just oversimplifies how we are ingesting nutrients or how our body interacts with food, which is not with individual parts of it, but with the whole the thing. Whole. Fructose is not as close to what it is extracted if you eat it in a berry or, or an apple, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm always looking at my blood sugar. I'm looking yeah. at what happens when I eat every hour, you know, that I'm awake and a couple times when I'm asleep, probably, or through the night, I know that like fruit and a berry is different from fruit sugars in a highly processed bag of fruit chips. They're just entirely different things. And so I think that everyone would be a lot healthier if they ate like me. 
So I'm, I'm biased. <laughs> Everyone should be eating as much variety as possible. And that variety can include food tech. That variety should should include it. If you want the Beyond Meat burger or the Impossible burger or the Tofurky, like have it, but just don't have it all the time. Don't have ultra processed foods. Don't have soda. Don't have chips. We're surrounded by so many bad for us options. How do we navigate? And so I just sort of lean back and say, well, eat, eat, eat as many plants as you can that are whole instead of pea protein that's in a crisp or a burger. Hmm. I guess most of these companies are leading with the argument of animal agriculture, and a lot of them are talking about replacing animal agriculture. I would rather say it's more realistic to say supply global demand for animal proteins. How do you interpret the sustainability arguments of these companies? Like how much is backed up by it through yeah, actual LCAs? Those are promising. Those are needed. We do need to make change. Most of the arguments say like people aren't going to make changes. They just want to eat their same foods. So let's give them the same foods, but that are made differently. That's one way to go about it. But maybe there are other ways that could be that we could be doing the same effort But the problem I see is that there isn't someone looking holistically at the entirety of the system. So we've got just these like silos of companies working on single things and no one's thinking about it as it works together. And we are an unhealthy bunch of people mm -hmm. and we will continue to go in that direction because our food system is capitalistic. And now we have big food controlling so much of it and also VC and Wall Street getting into it and the, and the two sort of vying for all, all of the companies. And our food system is broken because we're all unhealthy, radically unhealthy. And then we're just putting the, the new system on top of it. So how do we get people to eat better? That's like a bigger question. And how do we get companies that are more accountable to helping humans thrive? in mm -hmm. sustainable ways. Yeah. Well, at the moment, a lot of these startups are also arguing with, we can make this not just more sustainable, but we can also make it healthier. Like Clara Foods saying that their egg white protein doesn't have cholesterol and therefore is healthier. Or a lot of the cell-cultured meat startups that say we can replace the fats or we can improve the fat content to reduce it, blah, blah, blah. But I'm fascinated to see how it will change as it grows, because right now it's all small and it's much more mission driven. Not all of the companies are actually mission driven, but a lot of the founders actually have noble aspirations. But then once big money gets behind it more and more and they are bought up by corporations, you can see it with Oatly, things just become generally messy when it becomes a big business. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the promise of foods that are healthier for us, so like beef that is lower in cholesterol or beef that doesn't have animal-based heme, if the every company wants to say their egg whites don't have cholesterol, I mean, the problem is, is that they're not producing a complete egg, right? Yes. They're, they're producing singular proteins. So they actually, exactly. they actually can't use that argument, right? It's just not accurate. So the promise of foods that are healthier for us I think is the very last thing they're going to get to. And I'm, I feel pretty certain about that statement. They're going to figure out how to engineer it. They're going to figure out how to get the ingredients. They're going to figure out how to scale it. It's going to take a long time. They're going to try to find partners that will bring it to market and test it. And health is like, it's never what people talk to me about. And it's not 
what I think is, is top of mind. And it's a struggle. There are three key issues, climate, animals, human health, and human health is never top. And somehow they need to be equal, but I don't, I'm not seeing that. Yeah. And part of it is that it's so hard to judge in general. In the episode with Irina, we were describing this sort of three-tier model at the ground level, there are the companies who are making low quantity, high priced products with precision fermentation, like grow factors. And then there's the mid-tier that has been also established, like the classic fermentation model, enzymes, etc., which are medium quantity, medium price point. And now a lot of the innovation is about scaling and creating something that is at a lower price point with high, high, high quantity comparatively but therefore also faces new challenges that haven't been around before. So is that a model that you agree with or that you would modify or there's something that you could add to it? You know, if we look back at chymosin, which is the rennet that's produced using precision fermentation, it's been produced since the 80s. People need a tiny amounts and it has over 90% of the market. So it really has like owned the space. We could look at plant-based dairy, which has really taken over the dairy aisle at the supermarkets. You know, supermarkets have to put in new cold cases to fit all these new products. But that's been going since the 70s. So decades, right, mm-hmm. to get to where it is today. To make foods at the scale that we need is so complicated, which is why startups collaborate with big food companies like ADM or like Ingredion mm-hmm. or JBS. They need their support and their help to get there. People that would try out new foods would usually go to the farmer's market to test it, right? And that can't happen. Companies, startups are building factories that are 100,000 square feet before even knowing they have a marketplace for what they're doing, or even knowing that they can grow it to that scale. Like that is concerning. There's like the unintended consequences of like what these things will do. We know the foods we eat, and now we're just introducing a whole new category that are they say essentially identical, but they are different. Hmm. Well, then there's this line of argument, I guess, where you could say they're going through the approval process, which has been the same process for enzymes and other products already created within the last couple of decades, which have been in the food system. And most of them also weren't announced even to consumers. Rennet, People don't know where the rennet is coming from. But it's an, it's an enzyme used at minuscule amounts to make cheese, yeah. right? Now you're ask, you're looking to replace like center of plate items, mm. which to me is something different. So vitamins, minerals, fats, amino acids, sugars are already produced using precision fermentation, but it doesn't mean that I want my whole plate to be based upon precision fermentation. Like I don't think that's going to be healthy for a human body. But would you argue that it's going to be more unhealthy than the conventional agriculture products? Because it's also a question of compared to what, right? It's going to be unhealthy compared to broccoli, but will it be unhealthy to conventional milk products? We don't know that. Like yeah. we, I would want an academic study that went like, you know, one year of people drinking regular milk versus people drinking perfect day milk and mm. see what happens. Hmm. I mean, it's a naughty subject. There are two sides to everything that we're talking about. We're the beta testers for all these foods. And if the FDA approves it without any kind of knowledge that's like 
we fed this to someone for a year or something like that. I think that that's remiss. You mentioned that in your interviews with these companies, also for your book, Technically Food, you sometimes had a hard time getting to the bottom of things. And you were sometimes also met with backlash for having too many, too specific questions in general. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. You know, I famously asked Impossible Foods PR team what the temperature was in the manufacturing facility in Oakland. And they jumped all over me and yelled at me for an hour. And we've never repaired the relationship. Other people have suggested that I'm digging for dirt. Um, when I ask too many questions, some people reply to me when I ask questions that they don't want to answer or can't answer. They say, well, people don't care what their animals eat. So why do you care what nutrients we feed these cells? Which I don't think is fair reasoning. I think people want to know more about their food. The future generations want food that's more sustainable, but the older generations want food that's healthier. We have to continue to push in that direction. And if industrialized, ultra-processed foods have led us down this road, how do we ensure that the new system isn't the same system, right? If we're just producing all these analogs of current day foods, how is that making it better for us? Mm -hmm. It's interesting because you are very based in a health focus. When I interviewed Isha Datar in our first season on cellular agriculture, she was the closing guest and she said something that's stuck with me so much. She said, I'm a meat eater yep. and I eat meat yep. to be connected with the conventional consumer. And for various reasons, I have started once in a while eating meat and fish again a couple of weeks ago. And it has been a bit eye-opening. It's like, oh, it, it was like I ate it and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> It's like, I just remembered parts of my sensory uh, experience and the whole culture associated with it and a whole mindset associated with it, including the rationalization for it that's mm -hmm. attached to it. Because as I'm eating, I have to rationalize to not mm -hmm. feel bad about what I'm doing. I'm just mm -hmm. being very aware of why I'm doing this and how I'm doing this and using it as a self-study uh, mm -hmm. to as an N equals one study of Hmm. That's what's <laughs> yeah. happening <laughs> in people's brains. It has been yeah. rather insightful. Yeah. When Isha told me she ate meat, I was like stunned, but, mm -hmm. but also very happy that she shared that. I always ask founders, Sri Artham from Hooray Foods, who makes a plant-based bacon, says they have like bacon tests at the office. You can't make bacon unless you're tasting real bacon. And, you know, we can't just be like, oh, I'm just going to have this ultra processed burger with palm oil or coconut oil and methyl cellulose, to me, that's just not going to help me thrive. Mm, interesting. Uh, you have been doing something which I have been missing out way too much, which is taste testing. <laughs> and I wonder how many of the products maybe in our guest lineup, or let's say in general, in the precision fermentation, biomass fermentation space, you've taste tested in the last 12 months, not too far back. What has been your impression of the quality of these products? Maybe you can point out two or three. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I wrote about Melibio, the yes. vegan honey, right? They're not using precision fermentation, but I think the plan is to make sugars using precision fermentation. But their honey is, I would fool anybody. And it was one of the first products that surprised me at how close it was of a match. 
to honey. Uh, Nature's Find, I think their cream cheese, it's not 100% the same, but it's very good. I think the chocolate world is pretty interesting. And I'm, I think, the only person that has tried all of the different chocolates that people are working on right now. Only one is trying to do plant cell culture, which is California culture. But the other companies, Voyage and Koa and Win-Win, they're all sort of using alternative ingredients, whole food ingredients to make sort of chocolate analogs. And I had the opportunity to try them all. And I wrote about it for The Atlantic. When they make a bonbon or when they get it into M&Ms or when they get it into Snickers, to me, that's a really great idea. That makes sense to me. And even the precision fermentation of dairy and eggs as an ingredient, what if Sara Lee replaced all the eggs in its pound cake with the precision fermentation from the every company? I would love to see that. To me, that's the kind of thing that I might think is going to help us in the future. I'm very bullish on mycelium, on algae, on upcycling. I recently read that the USDA had figured out a use for peanut skins, which super excited me because I try to eat the peel of as many vegetables as I can because that's where a lot of the fiber and antioxidants or polyphenols are. They're in the peel, not the the meat, (laughs) the fruit. And so peanut skins is like a great example of something that's mostly wasted and that could be put to really good use. Also eggshells. So if we're making liquid eggs, the eggshells are dumped, but those eggshells have calcium, they have albumin, they have really good things in there that could go into pet food, right? Pets account for a big portion of our meat industry. Let's fix that. I just think that if we could look at the problems in the food system now and fix them in more holistic ways that addressed multiple different spokes of the problem instead of just one. Yeah, but I do feel that there's a lot of hype around it. So we're trying to use the technology and throw it at every problem. And even if it's not a real problem, which of the areas do you feel are overhyped or underhyped? I think that anything that's made chemically now, like colorings or vitamins or minerals, are going to go the route of precision fermentation to be produced. A lot of colorings are supposed to be taken out of our food system, but they're still in it, right? And there's been a lot of problems with them. So getting legacy ingredients out of our food system that are known to be bad for us is a great use for technology and a great first wave of technology. These companies are going for such a big, big thing, but that's to get the investors, right? That's to get the attention. And it'll probably ripple down as more people go to university to work in food, as more people in the medical profession pivot to food, we will get more of these niche solutions. Um, There's a company working on cocoa butter, right? So we've just had all these different companies, you know, er the every company and perfect day were the only ones working on dairy and eggs. And they'd go to like sell meat happy hours and they'd be in the corner talking because everybody was in cultured meat, but nobody was in dairy. And then Blue Nalu was like, no one's in fish. Let's do fish. So right now I feel like companies are just looking for that white space and then Mm. they want to get in there and take it before anybody else takes it. But again, the Good Food Institute or New New Harvest, these are robust organizations that could be talking about how the food system is broken and how do we fix it. You know, New Harvest works more in research and academia, but the Good Food Institute really could be pushing more for health and thriving of humans. And I don't see someone doing that. And so I just worry that it's not being done. And I just want to better understand it. I want it to be more transparent. I want to ask questions and have them answered. 
you know, everything's being patented, things are protected because of IP, things are protected because of investors. Fundraising is such an important part of it that sometimes I get stories that are just for funding. And, you know, our food to me is more important and needs to somehow be separated from the capitalistic part of what's happening. And I don't know how that happens. But again, we need science to help us improve our systems. But we also want them to look at our soil and give us better soil. I want them to help us grow better vegetables faster. There are a lot of things to work on. So the last two questions as a quick fire round. If you would have 50 million and you can invest <laughs> them, yeah, from big change, you can invest them in a specific startup or in certain solutions to problems, where would you put that money? I do think the problem of oils, fats and oils is something to be worked on. Palm oil comes from developing nations and is detrimental to their own climates, which is detrimental to ours. I think coconut oil is also a saturated fat. They're both saturated fats. They're both not good for us. And palm oil is in two thirds of products in the market. And any companies that are sort of working on fats, different fats that could be used to make foods more delicious that aren't these same fats. I think there's a lot of potential. I recently tried the precision fermentation oil from Zero Acre Farms, mm. and I've only like kind of sauteed things in it, vegetables in it, but that there's a lot of potential in that area. There's not enough companies in it. So I would probably spread the money out over a bunch of companies that are working on fat. Interesting. What is something that you've been hearing that you disagree with in the space or a controversial opinion that you hold we haven't touched upon? I think cultured meat is overhyped. We're being told to eat less meat and uh, these companies are just producing meat. And I get it. They're producing meat for the people that won't stop eating meat. But I think it's overhyped right now. I think they're all certain that the FDA is going to approve it this year. Well, I don't want estimates of when the FDA is going to approve it. I don't want assurances that by 2030, it'll be sold in the supermarkets. That, that's for investors, like have it in the meetings, in the boardrooms, but I don't need to like get it as a journalist. And I don't think people should be reading about it now because they're trying to get everybody used to it and used to the topic. And that helps familiarize them and be ready. We weren't reading about solar all the time and now it's everywhere, but we weren't reading about it everywhere back when it was being worked on initially or electric cars in the same fashion that we're reading about it now. Yeah, maybe it's also a bit different because solar is not that personal. It's not that controversial compared to cell cultured meat, which is something much more emotional due to being a food product. Oh, I don't think you've owned a Ford truck. <laughs> very emotional for talking electric versus gas. Yeah. You're right about solar. Sure, it's not as emotional, but I think cars are just as emotional for people. And here I would love to do a shout out to our listener, Hadar Shalem. I hope I'm pronouncing you the right way. After listening to the food waste season, she started volunteering for the food rescuers in Jerusalem. Thanks for inspiring us, Hadar. I keep hearing from people who fell into climate nihilism, and I can totally understand that. It's this feeling that, well, I can't fix climate change with my own actions, so why should I bother? The only way to fix it is if many people do their part, including companies and government. But those holes are just made up of people. We need to think as a community, and if many Red to Green listeners do their part, we can make a great change. 
And change starts with looking at ourselves and truly checking, can I cut down on food waste? Could I be more mindful of the flights I take? Is my home using renewable energy? And at the very least, it's about principles and doing things because they are our values and will also likely inspire others. But even more importantly, you can influence your organization, be it a company, community or university. And no matter in what position you are at the moment, you can make a change. Is your organization using renewable energy already? If not, demand it. Is your organization producing unnecessary waste anywhere? Make use of it or stop it. Open your eyes to the possibilities at your company. Find things that are better for the planet and the bottom line. They exist. If you get active in creating a change, please let me know. Write me on LinkedIn. My name is Marina Schmidt, S-C-H-M-I-D-T. You'll also find the link in the show notes. Until next time, you know the spiel. Let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green.